What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Peloton CEO John Foley is unclipping from his head bike, a shakeup amid takeover rumors on Wall Street. Peloton will cut roughly 2,800 jobs as part of all this, and that's about 20% of its corporate positions. And Inflation Nation, billionaire investor David Rubenstein says he's not too worried about it. I don't think the economy is in dire shape. I don't think anything like a recession is, is imminent. And so I do think you'll have a little air out of a bubble, a little bit of a correction, but nothing that I would say is unduly you know, nerve-wracking. Those stories, plus Super Bowl snacks from your favorite neighborhood. We're talking to Gold Belly CEO Joe Ariel. Basically, we've made the entire country and eventually the world one ecosystem, one platform where you can actually experience your favorite foods, no matter where they are. And fashion tips in spite of rising costs. That fanny pack of yours is Chanel. <laughs> Good. It's Tuesday, February 8th, 2022. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue it, please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin, who apparently both got haircuts yesterday. Is that the case? I did not get a haircut. Oh, you guys just look good. I just just styled nope. my hair so so. Looking prettily. looking very nice. I did not. Okay. I did not. Although I'd like to think that I style it well every day. And you have good days. Looks particularly good, days good today, guys. Good, good days. In, yeah. No, I saw you both. I'm like, oh, they look very, very nice. Anyway. I had, Thank I had you. some, I had some wig you. comments yesterday. You know what I was going to do? I was going to walk right up to the right up to the camera again one of these days, right up to it, and I'm going to put it right there, and I'm going to pull on it. And yet, just Don't I just, do it. It's high def. Trust me. I keep my distance from the camera. I do have I'm a couple of spots, but mm. it's real. Some news on Peloton. Uh, breaking this morning, Peloton CEO John Foley stepping down will become executive chair. The company plans to cut costs and overhaul its board. The company has hired Barry McCarthy to be its new CEO. He served as CFO of Netflix for eight years before taking the CFO job at Spotify, where he pioneered the direct listing route that Spotify used to go public. McCarthy will join Peloton's board. The journal is saying the Peloton will cut roughly 2,800 jobs as part of all this, and that's about 20% of its corporate positions. The cuts won't affect Peloton's instructor roster or content. The company also uh, dropping plans for a new factory in Ohio. And uh, we're going to get uh, straight to some reaction to this news because we've been talking about the prospects for Peloton uh, for the past several weeks as we've seen a real downdraft on those shares. Dan Ives uh, jumping in this morning to talk to us, senior equity research analyst at Webbush Securities. Um, an interesting move, but does it change the game? I think it clears the decks for a sale. I mean, Foley was really one of the biggest impediments given you know, the supermajority on the B shares. And I think really viewed by the street as one of the impediments to a potential sale. With him gone, and obviously a black eye way to sort of end his chapter, I mean, I think there's going to be more and more pressure for this company to sell 
especially with Foley gone. He was the pioneer, the core DNA of, of course, that rise and fall. Dan, I, I don't disagree that this may portend a sale, but it doesn't change the dynamic around John Foley, from what I understand, doesn't change the dynamic around um, the, the class structure. Um, he's still going to be the executive chair. If you think he was an impediment to a sale before, why does he not remain one? That's a great question. I think because when he was running it, it was really, if he stayed as CEO, it was really sort of ultimately a sign that he felt like he could turn this around. He could turn the ship around. Some dark days ahead had confidence. Him leaving, whether it's board or you know or self uh, sort of move, I mean, I think this sends a signal that he can do. And he's really been the pioneer. He's been the pilot on the plane. So with fully stage left, they, they, they could bring in anyone. To me, it indicates that they're going to have to ultimately sell here with some growth challenges ahead. So you, so you think there's no possibility that Barry is there to actually run the company? To operate the company and run it into the future, rather rather than run it into a sale. He he could obviously run it in the near term, but but in terms of whatever the spin is tonight, and you know whatever they'll talk about, I think the reality is is that this paints a picture that the growth challenges are even stronger in terms of headwinds than they expected. Fully can lead, and there's going to be more and more pressure for them to sell. Otherwise. We could watch a two-minute documentary on GoPro and Fitbit to see where this goes. To go back to the list of quote-unquote suitors, and as we were reporting yesterday, I think there's a lot of them who have dusted off decks and things that they were had considered over the past two years as they've watched the, the growth of this company, not knowing whether there'd be an opportunity to buy it. When you sort of look at that list, and I understand the Apple piece of it, I don't know if I really understand the Nike piece of it, if I'm being honest with you. Where does Amazon stand? Are there other players? Are we forgetting, by the way, just about other companies in the gym and fitness industry unto itself? No doubt. I mean, you, you could really start to expand the potential suitors because the, the reason Amazon, it's because of the subscription service. It's because more and more in a crowded content world, you have Peloton, which gets into roughly 3 million subscribers, and potentially that could grow significantly in a broader ecosystem. It's really about touch points of the consumer and exercise and fitness, even a work from home fading, that's still going to be there. And Peloton has a premium brand, which is important. And that's why there's many potential bidders here. But it comes down to clock struck midnight for Peloton. Which way do they go? Dan Ives, uh, so great to have you on the show this early in the broadcast and to jump in uh, on this news. Thanks again. We've got a backlash in Great Britain. you got to hear this. In an interview last week with the BBC, Bank of England's governor, Andrew Bailey, telling employees that they should not pressure their bosses into boosting wages. What we can do is try to prevent it becoming, it spreading, it become, inflation spreading, inflation becoming more ingrained in the system. You're trying to get into people's heads and ask them not to ask for too high pay rise. Well, is, is, is broadly, I mean, broadly, yes. Uh, really? I will say that. Uh, in the sense of saying, we do need to see in a moderation of wage rises. Now, that's painful. I don't want to, in any sense, you know, sugar that message. It is painful. Comments uh, drew the ire, as you might imagine, of workers' unions, also Prime Minister Boris Johnson. And it was quickly pointed out that Bailey's annual salary of £770,000 uh, is or $770,000, I should say, is about 18 times the UK average. But um, that's something, I don't know. 
I think you should ask. Prices for, are you know, going up for gas, for heat, for everything's food. going up. Everything and he's saying, no, suck it actually up and take don't. it in the chin or somewhere else. Pretty much. It, that's like the opposite of it's like opposite of what everybody else would be doing. Look, it's very, I, very peculiar. Other people say stop gouging us on the cost of products. But both of those <laughs> things are, are both of those things are de facto price controls that just ignore the realities right. of what the pressure that's causing these things to happen. And we right. tried this. We tried this. You guys weren't around. I had a win button. Whip inflation now. Yeah. Part of those and, things. And it, it, the, the whole notion that well, you know, when Elizabeth Warren says that, that it's because there's, you know, not enough companies in in that business, so that they're just gouging and right. These are real things. These are real. I mean, yeah. anybody did they not go to just Econ 101? I, I think that's all I had. Well, but cost, but I, I at least learned up. it there. Yeah, that costs there are, are up pressures. for a reason. There's, there's, it happens. There's price pressures Supply. that have gone up for input right. cost. They've had to pay higher for labor. They've had to pay higher for shipping because of all the issues that we've had with the and supply if, chain. Um, all of those so things come out. Through. By the way, if, if farmers don't get to charge more for what they've put in for the food at this point, right. they're going to completely lose their shirts because they've right. had to put out the money up front for. Right. Higher prices for fertilizer, higher prices for everything else. Then um, the, the supply goes down because, you know, it happens with commodities, with copper. If prices are too low, you stop doing it, so then all of a sudden there isn't anything. And look at it's oil. also simple. It's also simple in a, in a function of supply and demand. All true. Yeah. And at the same time, I, do want, I just want to say, and I don't disagree with anything that's been said thus far at all, but there is also price gouging that's yeah. going on on top of this. On it the, may be uh, a small uh, part at of the it. Margin. Maybe you can probably find some, some places like at dealerships like where they're charging an extra 2500 bucks just because you can see you the, want it, you the local pay. gas station guy, you know, where he kind of winks at you when you're in there and it's like five, it's not there anywhere else. And he says, well, you know, overnight I didn't get the, uh, well, it's, you know, they always have well, a bag. Becky had a great tweet over, the, Becky had a great tweet over the weekend about, I think it was a Chanel bag. That had oh, gone yeah. up from, I don't know, what it was, $3,000 like to... $5,000 up to $8,000 right. or something, yeah. I, I, which is ridiculous. Look, I can't believe people pay goods, for, the, but for, for that to begin with, but, someone, but this is the problem. Right. There's so much demand out there, and there's so much money out there, and people have so much money to spend that they so are the willing to pay bag. these higher prices. Yeah, live cattle, I don't think that... Is there still a live cattle futures? I don't know, but live cattle didn't go up enough to warrant that problem. Was it a leather bag? No, yeah. like, it was. It was, was it a but real it was Chanel bag? Really small ones. Yeah, it was a real Chanel bag, but they were just saying it doesn't matter how much they rise, they raise prices. They've raised it three times over the last year, and there's still an incredible amount of bag for these overpriced, overpriced bags. You which, know what? Chanel bag is like an NFT. There, there is no way to assign useless? an intrinsic... <laughs> no, there's yeah. no way to assign an intrinsic value to a Chanel bag. There's right. no way. That's like why Dutch we should tulips. never ask for intrinsic value on anything. Because the entire world, things sell without any intrinsic value. Right. Believe me, I've bought a couple of those. I, I, I mean, I, for yourself. I, I've paid for a couple of those <laughs> that other people bought for people for, for <laughs> Christmas. And it's like, no, that's not. You really didn't. That's really the price. What, what's a Chanel belt? It goes for like three or $4,000, this little no, thing. This, right? this thing, now it's eight. $8,000. Fanny pack is Chanel? What's that? That fanny pack of yours is Chanel? <laughs> Looks good. But, that, I mean, that's the issue. Like, you can't say, okay, workers stop asking for raises and companies stop right. giving raises because, by the way, the workers have the power right now to walk away, and that's why you are seeing wages go up. And it is a, an inflationary spiral, but find another way to stop it. Stop it the way you started it, which was by putting too much money into the system, by, you know, giving people money for anything and everything. I mean, there are ways that you got to slow this down, but don't expect the workers to say, 
Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. That's okay. That's, we won't uh, ask for a raise. Great idea for management. You know, right. help us out here. On another note, Andrew, I'm, I'm, I've been thinking about a fanny pack. And I don't have one. And what, what do a fanny? You, yes, you're right. No, you don't. What, what do you put your, what is it used for? Your phone, trail mix, keys. Um, just whatever you would just not have in your pocket because you have lipstick. It's very practical. It's very practical. It's everything that you don't want to put it, unless a you're going to wear you cargo pants, water Joe. You could put a water bottle in there. You could put you, you could, could put a water med bottle medication a in there. All the I above. don't have one, but I'm you know what? It, 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 this is a, a, appealing to me to some extent. Trail mix especially. Coming up on Squawk Pod, what's keeping billionaire investor David Rubenstein up at night? I think the biggest problem is whether something comes that's unforeseen. If there's a war in Russia and Ukraine, if something happens in the Middle East, something happens in China, Taiwan, markets are expecting certain things to happen. And when there are geopolitical events that come along that we don't anticipate, that could mess up the markets much more than anything else we're likely to see. The market's biggest risks, right after this. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently, and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Stand Becky by. This is Squawk Pod from CNBC with Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Becky. Bank of America issuing the most aggressive Fed call on Wall Street this year, calling for seven rate hikes and four more next year. Joining us right now is billionaire investor and philanthropist David Rubenstein, who is Carlyle Group's co-founder and co-chairman. He's also got a new book that is due out in September. It's called How to Invest, Masters on the Craft. And David, it's uh, great to see you this morning. Thank you for being here. My pleasure, Becky. Thank you for having me. Why don't we talk about inflation first? We do have uh, CPI data coming this week. It is expected to be very hot. We've been looking at the hottest inflation number since all the way back to 1982. You start to hear about the potential for seven rate hikes. First of all, is it warranted? And second of all, do you think it'll happen? Well, this seven rate hikes would be over this year and next year. Uh, remember, in the 1970s, when I was in government, we had a different situation. Inflation was double digit. The Fed funds rate went up to 20%. We're not looking at anything like that. Uh, the Fed today telegraphs what it does much better than the Fed did in the 1970s under Paul Volcker. It's a different world. I think the market is anticipating that when the FOMC meets in March, uh, middle of March this uh, year, it will increase Fed fund rates by about uh, 25 basis points. 50 basis points is possible. It will depend on the data between now and March 15th or so. But I suspect anything less than 25 basis points, which is to say no rate increase, would be a big shock. Something more than 50 basis points would also be a big shock. But I suspect the Fed will move gingerly each time it meets, probably looking at quarter 
point basis point, 25 basis point increase each of the times that it meets uh, this year. It meets another uh, uh, about six times this year. It meets seven times overall. It's already met once. So six more times this year it could meet. I suspect it won't increase every one of those meetings, but probably we'll get something around 25 basis points uh, in the March meeting. Hey, David, no, no question that this is not what we saw in inflation in the 1970s. We're, we're not looking at anything near that. But when you're talking about 7% increases on CPI, that, that is pretty significant, and it definitely has an impact. Um, we were just talking earlier this morning about some comments made over in England about how they think workers should stop asking for raises and bosses should be a little more strict in handing out raises to try and like cut this uh, the cycle of inflation and stop it in its tracks. But that seems a little crazy when you look at the price increases that consumers are dealing with right now, whether that be food, whether that be heat or, or gas to fill their cars at this point. Um, Inflation is here and it is having an impact and, and people on the street feel it. Inflation's here. It's not double digit inflation. We think it's probably due more to things relating to COVID because the supply chain got disrupted. Manufacturers started moving things away from producing uh, new products. And ultimately, when, when the market wanted these products, it wasn't able to produce them. So now the supply chain is coming back to a more normal situation. It may take another year before we get there. So I don't think we have the enormous wage increase that we had in the 1970s that produced inflation. Other, other things caused inflation in the 1970s as well. Oil price increases were gigantic as well. But right now, I think it's not, I hate to use the word transitory, because that word has probably uh, been damaged a bit. <laughs> yeah. but I do think that, that it's likely that we'll get this under control. I don't think it's quite as um, systemic as we saw in the 1970s. But there's no doubt the Fed needs to do something. I think the Fed recognizes that. David, I, I realize it's it's nowhere near as bad as what we saw in the 1970s. I realize it's not double digit, but you do hear anecdotally so many stories about workers who are asking for raises and getting them. Um, I just heard this morning about another story of a, a restaurant owner who had the dishwasher ask him for a raise to twenty five dollars from 18 when he said, no, the guy left and the owner's been washing dishes themselves for the himself for the last three weeks. You hear other stories about in California where families of, of, of medically fragile children can't find nurses, even though they've been authorized, medically authorized to have nursing care, particularly at night. They can't find anybody because the state's only paying $44 an hour for a nurse. And, and those people have all gotten siphoned elsewhere. So these parents are staying up all night, not able to sleep to try and keep their children alive. I mean, there are some real world implications of what's happening right now, and it is showing up in wages. Well, remember, we do have a very low unemployment rate and the worker participation rate is increased. So it's hard to get people at lower uh, wage uh, levels to, to work. Uh, and a lot of employers are having troubles doing that. And remember, we never did increase the minimum wage. The minimum wage is still relatively low in this country compared to other OECD countries. So I think uh, it's not a surprise that wages are going up, but I don't think it's going to be so systemic that you're going to see a sustained 7% inflation. I suspect it'll come down to closer to 4 to 5% or so later this year and ultimately get down to closer to 3 to 4% by the end of the year. So if the market knows that this is coming, if this has been pretty well telegraphed and the Fed moves at an orderly pace. Uh, two questions. First of all, does the market react to any of these moves or has it already done the reaction? We've seen a 10 percent cut for the Nasdaq. Um, you've seen other stocks come down significantly more. Is that enough? Is that a reflection of what you think is going to happen? Well, the, the S&P 500 is trading at around a 23 times multiple. That's a little high when you begin to have tightening. Normally, uh, the the S&P 500 is probably around 17 or 18 times. When the markets tend to tighten, interest rates go up, you tend to see uh, a much lower P.E. Uh, ratio than you have at 23 now. So 
the markets still are a little bit full, I would say, probably compared to where they are normally when markets are beginning to tighten because interest rates are going up. So a slight correction from here wouldn't be uh, unwarranted or wouldn't be impossible to see. And I guess the second part of my question is that the Fed's also going to be tightening the balance sheet at the same time. And we've never seen a tightening like this. Um, how will that play out? What, what will that change? What are the market, market implications of that? Well, when we've had quantitative easing the first time in the Great Recession, the Fed ultimately did uh, do a pretty good job of uh, reducing its balance sheet. Uh, the balance sheet is much bigger than it was then. And so it's going to take a little bit longer to get the balance sheet reduced. But I think the markets anticipate this, and I don't think that's going to be as big a problem. I think the biggest problem is whether something comes that's unforeseen. If there's a war in Russia and Ukraine, if something happens in the Middle East, something happens in China, Taiwan, markets uh, are expecting certain things to happen. And when, when there are geopolitical events that come along that we don't anticipate, that could uh, uh, mess up the markets much more than anything else we're likely to see. I'd argue that the market is anticipating Russia doing something in Ukraine. That's why we've seen oil prices move so high so quickly. I think the market is a little uncertain, as everybody is uncertain about what's going to happen in Ukraine. I think uh, uh, President Putin is looking for a way out, in my view. I don't really have any inside information, but I suspect he would like to get off the precipice if he could find a face-saving way to do so. And I think the administration's done a pretty good job of figuring out ways to box him in a bit so that, uh, the, you know, ultimately, if he looks for a face-saving way out, it won't be seen as a terrible loss. On the other hand, I think it's very important, just as when uh, the, the Soviet Union fell, President Bush didn't jump up and down and say, look how great I am, look how wonderful I am that I got the Soviet Union to collapse. I think here, what the administration needs to do, and I assume it's working on this, is if Putin does back down, not to brag about how wonderful the, publicity, the diplomacy's been, but to actually give him a face-saving way out and let him take that face-saving way out and not try to say how great we are in coming up with this di diplomatic uh, triumph. David, just in terms of the rotation we've seen in the market, where people are getting out of some of these high growth names, some of the technology leaders we'd seen to a, for a while, and getting back into more value-oriented names, that, that is a move that makes sense to you right now? And do you think it continues, or we've seen that play out too? Well, some of the biggest names in the markets have had incredible valuations that are hard to justify. So when some of the air is out of the bubble of some of these things, I think it's not a big shock. Now, obviously, when a company loses 25% of its market value, that's un, un, unusual and I, I think not expected. But I suspect that market value will come back a bit. You're talking about hand, Meta? Yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, losing 25% of your market value in one day is probably unusual. It's a very strong company, but that is probably an unusual loss. I do think that some of the biggest names probably have a little bit more air in them than probably uh, might be expected at this time in the cycle. But I don't see any big, gigantic market correction of the type that's going to push, push us into a recession. I don't see that at all. I think market correction will, will be modest relative to, uh, to what we've seen in the past when you have a gigantic correction. What's been so interesting about this has been the strength of the consumer through this economy. If you listen to Bank of America yesterday, they talked about how people paid so much off on their credit cards during the fourth quarter, so much more than they had been a year ago or two years ago, even pre-pandemic levels. Um, just the strength of the consumer, it seems, at almost every level, how much money there is to spend from consumers and from businesses uh, makes this time a little different. Is there any time that you kind of go back to and say, this reminds me of X time? Well, the consumers do have a fair amount of cash now, and I think they are paying down, as, as you suggest. I don't think we have an over-leveraged situation, which is what we had in the, in the Great Recession. There was an enormous amount of uh, personal credit in the, in, the, in the recession of 2008 and 2009, and we don't see that right now. So I don't think it's a debt-led problem that we have right now. I think right now we have a bit of a confidence problem. 
Uh, people are uncertain about the future. And I think people are also a little uncertain about what exactly the Fed will do and exactly what the impact will be. But on the whole, I don't think the economy is in dire shape. I don't think anything like a recession is, is imminent. And so I do think you'll have a little air out of a, the bubble, uh, a little bit of a correction, but nothing that I would say is unduly uh, ner uh, you know, nerve wracking in my view. David Rubenstein, thank you for your time, sir. It's good to see you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Cheese will be next. Next on Squawk Pod, Super Bowl snacks for the Super Bowl with Gold Belly CEO. Eat local wherever you are. The future of the restaurant industry is omni-channel. If you are a restaurant and you have fans and followers and people who love what you do, but they don't live in your neighborhood, you want to reach them. Game day treats and traditions that'll never change. You know what? The metaverse is never going to disrupt Gold Belly. You know what I mean? I don't even want to eat on the metaverse. I want to eat, eat, eat. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. We are just days away from the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams taking the field in LA for the 56th Super Bowl. It's a special game for the Bengals in particular. They've never won the Super Bowl and they haven't been to one since the 1988 season. Here's Cincinnati's own Joe Kernan. Millions, literally, of Americans are expected to place a wager of some type on the Super Bowl. Contessa Brewer is here to tell us what has changed as states continue uh, to adopt and liberalize uh, legal sports gambling. I don't think it's legal yet um, online in California, is it, Contessa? No, it's not legal at retail sports books in California, Joe, and that's a big problem for the state of California going into the Super Bowl. You know, we are likely to see an enormous spike in the number of people who bet on the big game this year, according to research just released this morning by the American Gaming Association. It predicts 31.4 million Americans will make a wager on the big game, up 35% from last year. And they'll bet an eye-popping $7.6 billion, up 78% from last year. That dramatic rise attributed largely to broader access. Well, since last year, 10 states have launched legal sports betting, meaning 45 million more Americans can wager in their home state that's than last year. And in total, bettors can legally wager on the big game in 30 states plus Washington, D.C., with three more states having legalized it, but not yet launched. One of those states, Ohio, home 
of the Super Bowl contender Cincinnati Bengals. So get this, fans in Ohio can root on their team, but they can't place a legal bet on them. That's okay, neither can California fans of the LA Rams, nor any of the spectators at the Super Bowl, not legally. Research by SportsHandle.com suggests we'd see an additional $400 million wagered on the game this year if those two states had legal live digital betting. It also presumes 10 betting platforms, a game that's competitive till the fourth quarter, and no major technical glitches, which of course is what Caesars and BetMGM, FanDuel, DraftKings, all the others are hoping for too, Joe. All right, uh, Contessa, New Jersey, I'm, I'm good. I can do it. I can do it on the Bengals. Our next guest has a front row seat for what will be served at Super Bowl parties around the country uh, this Sunday. Goldbelly founder and CEO Joe Ariel uh, joins us, and uh, Super Bowl's great, and uh, it, you know some specific events are great, but in general, food e-commerce has flourished during the pandemic. I, I see that, I can't imagine it's gonna continue to be this great, but 30% growth still expected per year for the next three, four, five years, right, Joe? That's right, why not? Food is a $1.7 trillion market. You know, people want convenience, people want experience. And I think uh, in regards to what we do, an emotional food experience, right? Why is it in fashion, in travel, in gadgets, you can have the best stuff no matter where you live? We do the same for food. It's not about where you live. It's what you love. It's the foods that bring you happiness. Uh, and that's, that's the business we're in. And you're speaking to me because you, you specifically mentioned what are trash can nachos it's got everything on them or uh and that emotionally i'm already still connected to those but those are going to be big are those going to be big this sunday for gold belly you should yeah you 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 would love trash can nachos so basically guy fieri also known as the mayor of flavortown created this dish which is in like a mini trash can nachos cheese sour cream jalapenos guacamole and you get to choose brisket pulled pork or beans on top. Uh, and it's a whole experience because you actually shuffle out the can and this pile of gorgeous nachos appears at the middle of your Super Bowl table. Well, it's a good thing. Yeah, that, that, that you are making me emotional. I'm feeling a little bit te- uh, teary in fact. You know, I thought about something. You know what, what the metaverse is never gonna disrupt? Gold belly. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't, I don't even wanna eat on the metaverse. I wanna eat, eat, eat. Yeah. Eat, eat, eat. Uh, but, but so t- tell us exactly how Gold Belly is different from other, uh, f- for people who don't know, other food e-commerce sites, Joe. Sure. Yeah, so we're the first national platform for food e-commerce. And uh, what we mean by that is we've created the first ecosystem of food makers, restaurants, iconic restaurants and chefs all across the country that now for the first time can reach customers no matter where they are. So, Joe, if you're in Alaska and you're craving New York bagels from Essa Bagel and Russ and Daughters, we'll ship it to you overnight. Uh, the same thing is true if you're in New York City, but you love barbecue and you want some Kansas City barbecue or some Texas brisket. Uh, basically, we've made the entire country and eventually the world um, one ecosystem, one platform where you can actually experience your favorite foods, no matter where they are, have them at your table and cr- create the first really at-home restaurant dining experience. 
That is pretty cool. So you, you can get a Philly cheesesteak from one of the great uh, one of the great places down there. There's like five of them that are. T- you could probably get a Sal's pizza. What, what about a what about Montgomery and ribs from since or, or some Skyline from Skyline Cincinnati Chili. for the Bengals? Yeah. One of the top sellers right now, for sure. Pat Steaks invented the cheesesteak in the 1940s. We ship it. And you can't forget Anchor Bar Wings. They invented buffalo wings in the 1960s. And you can get the original buffalo wings. How bad is inflation, Joe? Just uh, all this is make, you know, is all great. But what are you seeing? What are you hearing from suppliers? And, and just for you in general, I mean, prices must be up how much? 20 percent, 30 percent? We're seeing more five to seven percent um, uh, across the board. So nothing too crazy. Fortunately, you know, we work with about a thousand small and medium, you know, sized food makers all across the country. So supply chain wise, everybody has uh, maintained creativity and stayed pretty strong. Uh, but, you know, inflation five to seven percent is what we're seeing. So you saved a lot of restaurants, I would think, or at least helped save a lot of, of restaurants. Will there, will there be a reversal of that, uh, of that trend once we, were, we return to some whatever normal is? Yeah, I don't think so. You know, I think the future, and, and you can talk to most folks in the restaurant industry, the future of the restaurant industry is omni-channel. And uh, I, I think in regards to what we do, what that means is if you are a restaurant, and you have fans and followers and people who love what you do, but they don't live in your neighborhood, you wanna reach them. And I think that's really the magic of Gold Belly for food makers. Now, all of a sudden, you can ship an order 3,000 miles. It's not about just who lives in your neighborhood or you, who you can reach on a local delivery platform. The entire country is a potential customer. You raised 100 million, you got a, a new uh, kind of a partnership with Martha Stewart. Um, what else? What else do you think? How else will your business change? Anything else exciting you can tell us about? You can describe more food uh, for me or, or actually talk to financials. Yeah, well, I, one, thing, one thing I'd love to mention is we recently launched Goldbelly TV, which is the first video platform for food e-commerce, where we're giving the chefs and restaurateurs a microphone, a megaphone to actually show their craftsmanship show how they make their dishes and actually show you how to reenact those dishes when you have them in your own home. So we think it's really going to elevate what experiential e-commerce can be. And certainly for food makers to give them another platform to showcase how special their craftsmanship is, uh, is something that's going to be really exciting for the future. All right, Joe, thanks. Uh, uh, very interesting. I, I know avocado, guacamole has got to be up more than five to seven. That's got to be up like 10, 15, 20%. But uh, there's some kind of, I don't know, there's always an avocado shortage when you need it, uh, when you really need it for Super Bowl. But thanks, Joe. It's my clear broth jello day, and I just had the gold belly guy on, and I just, I just said to my wife, I, go, I picked the wrong day to be on to the clear broth. Uh, yeah. De- huh? Yeah. yeah. Um, after talking, those trash can nachos, I'm getting a little uh, teary about as I said. Mouth is watering. For, for a different reason, yeah. We will all be back here tomorrow. Or, Joe, will you? Are you back here tomorrow? No, I'm going to have a camera with me, though, like Katie Kirk. <laughs> Maybe not. TMI. We will see you tomorrow, everybody else. Good luck, Joe. And thanks for listening to Squawk Pod today. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Please follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Have a great day. We are clear. Thanks, guys.
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.